Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, Cultural Engagement Manager here at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic on The Table today is helping your church defend the faith, helping your church grow stronger in their faith. And I have a guest today coming to you all the way from sunshiny California in Northern California. It's Dina Davidson, my friend Dina at Bayside Church. Thanks for being on the show. Hello. Oh, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me, Mikkel. Yeah, Dina is the Campus Life Director for Thrive School at Bayside Church in Sacramento. And I'll just have you introduce yourself. Dina, tell us a little bit about your work at Bayside. Sure. So my husband and I, we oversee a a discipleship program for about 80 students. And so that involves everything from teaching them to show up on time uh, to helping them understand the deep questions that... um, their doubts that they have with God and wrestling with those. And so we both get to lead the program. I teach an ethics course for those students. And we're also parents. I think that's important to share. We are Hmm. figuring that one out. We have a one-year-old. And so, yeah, we have like 80 kids plus one. Wow. So how did you get involved in apologetics ministry and helping people defend the faith and grow stronger in their faith? Such a good question, because I didn't set out to be in apologetics ministry. Uh, So I always knew that I wanted to go into ministry from the age of like 16 years old on. And I had been homeschooled all throughout my life. And when I got to college age, I decided I was going to go to a secular university and be a philosophy major Mm. just because I loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. I I knew I was going to go on to grad school, thought I would be a Bible major. That was not offered um, at a secular university. So I just was interested in philosophy. So I majored in philosophy, but obviously ended up having a lot of questions about my faith because of that experience. And I went into that experience thinking I had a really grounded, reasonable faith, but was exposed to a lot of questions that I just frankly didn't have the answer to. So as an undergrad, I just decided that I personally wasn't going to abandon my faith just because of questions. I always knew that I wanted to go and hear the other side. So I ended up enrolling in Biola's Master in Christian Apologetics program and um, just for my own personal knowledge. And while I was there, I was exposed to what I would call like this other world in Christianity that I had no idea existed. And I, I met just some of the greatest thinkers um, I think of our day. And I got to read and listen and, and I ended up just feeling like my questions really were answered. And that birthed in me a passion to make sure other people had access to those answers Hmm. and knew that there were incredibly smart people thinking about whatever question they had and that they weren't alone in trying to get answers. Hmm. And so just out of my own personal experience, I, um, I had this knowledge base that other Christians didn't have. And so as I launched into working with college students, it was almost just a natural evolution. People knew I had this background. And so they started asking me, you know, hey, how can we how can we start answering our students tough questions? And from there, it was just it became a part of my everyday ministry that I would help people get answers to the tough questions. Wow. 
Well, as part of just uh, me thinking about our, our discussion today, I put something out there on Twitter and I asked people, what are the top um, challenges you have nowadays in terms of apologetics? And I got a variety of responses back, but one of them was interesting. It was um, getting other Christians to understand the need for apologetics. And is that something that you felt you had to do at Bayside before you started doing your ministry, or was the need just so evident by the students' questions already? Yeah, I, I think part of the challenge is in the name. Um, no one knows what the word apologetics is, but when you explain that apologetics is the great answers to the tough questions, um, suddenly everything shifts. Mm -hmm. And so, fortunately, I actually work in a church where it was our senior pastor who knew that we needed to have an apologetics presence on our campuses. And so, he was the one who actually approached me and said, hey, I have this vision hmm. to do an apologetics conference. You're doing something with apologetics. Can you run it? Hmm. And I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I just thought that was so cool that my senior pastor was A, talking to me, and B, um, asking me to put on something that I loved so much mm -hmm. for the rest of the church. So I, I thankfully did not have to convince that senior pastor that this ministry was valuable. But since then, I've had to, I've had to convince a lot of pastors that showing up for an apologetics class having an apologetic series for their student ministry is an incredibly valuable thing. And, and I do think there are a lot of pastors out there who are maybe a little bit jaded about, you know, ah, apologetics doesn't work. No one becomes a Christian because their questions get answered. And, and so I have had to face a little bit of that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting sometimes apologetics, whatever somebody's first impression of apologetics was, whether it was uh, somebody who was, uh, you know, talking more about science and origins, or whether they're talking about abortion or pro-life, whatever it happens to be, like, whatever their first contact, that becomes apologetics in the minds of a lot of people. Uh -huh. And depending on the tone with which that's done, it can sometimes turn some people off to uh, apologetics in general. And so that is a challenge for us as we begin to think about how can we help our church get the answers to the questions that, that many Christians and you know, non-Christians who are, who are seeking are asking as well. Yeah, that's so good. Very true. So tell us a little bit about starting the apologetics conference that you mentioned. I remember the apologetics seminar it was called, and uh, I got to be a part of that, the very first one. Remember we launched that, what was that, 2011? Yep. How did that all come about? Yeah. Okay, so my senior pastor asked me to put on this seminar, mm -hmm. he called it, for apologetics. And and he basically, he had this feeling, you know, back, it was 2010, he said, um, you know, the new atheists were writing a bunch of books against Christianity, and people were beginning to really wrestle with, is my faith reasonable? Is my faith true? And so he came to me and he said, like, basically, I feel like the atheists are coming after Christians, and we've done nothing to prepare our congregation to handle that attack. So would you get some of your professors from Biola to come and speak at our church and host this apologetic seminar? They said, yes, hmm. I would love to do that. I would love to expose the people on Sunday morning to what I'm getting to experience in my classes. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up just um, getting with some classmates actually from that program and just saying, okay, what are the questions that people have? If we were to answer any tough question about the Christian faith, which are the ones that we would tackle from the stage? So we brainstormed a ton of topics. And then we came to Biola and we said, hey, here are, here are some of the things that we want covered. 
who do you have that's great who can speak on these topics? Mm-hmm. And they were so amazing to coordinate with us and say, well, hey, we've got this great speaker. He does a great talk on this particular question. And something that I think a lot of people miss about apologetics ministry is that it is not just about the right answer. Mm-hmm. It is also about the environment in which you're giving that answer. And the fact of the matter is, if someone has a question, they can go read a book to get the answer. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing apologetics ministry and I'm crafting these conferences and these seminars, I'm not just thinking about what is the answer we need to give. I'm also thinking about what experience do we need to create to make people really excited to come and learn. And so we do a lot of things at our conferences, even at that first seminar, to make sure that people are having a great experience, mm-hmm. like something that's huge, so simple. We have a never-ending supply of free coffee. <laughs> that's huge. We mm-hmm. have free snacks. And then we also create these moments where people turn to each other in the middle of a session, and they'll just start having conversation with each other. Because I remember being a student in class, and some of my best like light bulb moments didn't happen from listening to the lecture. Mm-hmm. They happened later in conversation with the person right next to me as we were working it out. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been super passionate that when I'm creating these apologetics experiences for people, even back to that first seminar, it's not just about the answer. It's also about the environment that people are learning the mm-hmm. answer in. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember it was such a, the, the vibe was so great. The whole place was, I mean, I did a very early morning breakfast thing and there were 200 people that packed out this little coffee shop uh, or video yeah. venue that you guys had. And how has mm-hmm. the response been since, say, the first time you did it and then like the second time? What has the response been? Yeah, so that first one, we called it a seminar, and we're like, is anyone going to show up? And Mm -hmm. I was on my knees every day just saying, like, God, let us not lose money. I mean, that was my greatest vision. Uh God, let us not lose money on this event. Uh And um, you kind of thought, like, okay, maybe like 500, 600 people are going to show up. And 1,300 people ended up coming to that very first seminar. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it was at that moment that our church kind of paused and said, wow, there is a need here that maybe we haven't realized. Mm -hmm. So the very next conference we had, we hosted it a couple years later, and there were over 3,000 people at that second one. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so like it was such a situation. No one was expecting that amount of people to come. We didn't have (laughs) parking for it. You know, we ran out of coffee. We ran out of snacks. We ran out of seats. Like we ran out of everything. So much so that we actually had to go and apologize to all of the restaurants that were nearby our church because people had parked and like walked like half a mile to our church just to show up to our apologetics conference, which is just the most insane thing Hmm. ever. And, and it's been crazy just seeing that when you, when you create an environment where people feel free to come and ask the tough questions and you pair that with a speaker who actually has great answers to the tough questions, mm-hmm. people will show up and they will show up in droves to, to get great answers to their tough questions. Tell me a story about someone who attended one of those events and, and had their lives um, changed by it. Yeah. Uh, so one one story that stands out, I won't share his name, but we had this gentleman who actually 
we did radio ads um, mm-hmm. for the apologetics conference. So he was listening to the radio and he was happening to listen to Christian radio, but he was an atheist, hmm. but he was a really sad and he was going through a really hard time in his life. And he was so angry with God, but the Christian radio station just made him feel better. Hmm. So he's like, whatever, I'll just put this radio station on. Ended up hearing an ad that we had on the radio for the apologetics conference. And he got so frustrated. He's like, there are no good answers to the tough questions. I'm going to go to that church and just like prove them wrong and make sure that they, you know, I'm going to talk to someone there. And that was his attitude in showing up was just basically, I heard this ad on the radio and this is, you know, none of this is real. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to tell you how it is. So he came and he sat and he actually um, listened in to Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was speaking at our Friday night, one of our first sessions. Mm -hmm. And Lee gives this great presentation on the resurrection of Jesus and why it's credible, it's a credible miracle to believe. And at the very end, ends up sharing his testimony of how he was this rational atheist who then came to faith in Jesus Christ simply by pursuing the answers to his questions. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, the world shifts for this man who's who's shown up to prove that Christianity is wrong. I mean, he's literally hearing Lee Strobel's story and saying, like, that is my story. That's mm. why I'm here, is to prove that this is wrong. Ends up, like, in that session, uh, praying the prayer to receive Jesus because Lee brilliantly decides there needs to be a salvation moment at this apologetics conference. Receives Christ, and he ends up becoming um, one of our great volunteers, uh, just serving at Bayside, and moves and comes and starts attending our church just so that he can be close to what God is doing and continue the work that God started in him at that conference. Wow, that's amazing. That was like not what we were planning (laughs) when we were thinking, okay, what do these Christians need to hear Mm -hmm. when they come and sit and, and hear about their faith? Like that, that was not on the radar. Yeah. And when you do events like this, you have to understand that there's, uh, you know, not only your church audience where you have Christians and then you have people who really aren't Christians who are in the church anyway and are checking things out and are seekers. And then you have yes. people like this who just, just the Lord just brings them in, um, sometimes hostile people yeah. who the Lord just, just chooses that time to grab a hold of their hearts. And, uh, and we see life yes. change happen from what sometimes people push back against and say is just an intellectual kind of pursuit. But God can use uh, good arguments as well. Um, Arguments yeah. in the in the philosophical sense, not fighting with people, but uh, right. giving good reasons for what we believe. Yes. So you mentioned earlier that sometimes you have had to answer some objections from Christians actually in the church who say, you know, we should be spending time on other things. We should, um, you know, this apologetics really doesn't work. Apart from, I suppose, just sharing these kinds of stories, how else have you found um, that you needed to respond to somebody who maybe didn't understand quite how God uses apologetics in the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I first just spent a lot of time asking them what apologetics means to them mm-hmm. and um, why they think that providing great answers to tough questions is not a worthwhile pursuit. Um, that's a major thing that I do is I just spend time asking them, like, what are, what are their objections to apologetics? And it usually boils down to one of two reasons. Um, the first is that they've had a bad experience with it like you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And so um, I I listened to their story about they may have seen someone use apologetics to try to argue people into the kingdom or people use apologetics to actually tear people down. And after listening to their story, I just, um, in love, present a different option. 
And I say, you know, that sounds like really bad apologetics, but just because someone has done apologetics poorly doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It means that we need to do it better. And then I just start sharing from my own personal experience what apologetics has meant to me. Hmm. And I, I share with them how I grew up in a pastor's home and I had a very rational faith, but there came a moment where I desperately needed some good answers to tough questions. And thank goodness I was exposed to apologetics mm-hmm. because I, I came to a fork in the road in my personal faith where it was either going to be, I am walking away from Jesus or I'm going to love Jesus, but just not be able to love him with my mind. Like my intellect is going to have to be divorced from my faith. Hmm. And that, like both of those options are terrible. And we need to help the Christians that come to that similar fork in the road. So I just try to really cast a vision for what apologetics can be. Mm-hmm. So that's that first first reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned before that, uh, so that one atheist who came who ended up giving his life to Christ, you've had yes. other atheist responses to your conferences, and they weren't all positive, yeah? Yeah, no. Like, so, this is a fun story. I Okay, so the I think it was the third apologetics conference. We've done these before, and all of a sudden, we get contacted by our local atheist group, and they tell us that they want to actually bring their group of atheists um, to our conference and wear these t-shirts that say, Ask an Atheist. And so we get this like weird email in our inbox and we're like, what, what do, what do, what's happening? What do we do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a real moment where we had to decide like, what is the purpose of this conference? And we had no idea how to respond. So we just thought, well, we're just going to set a meeting with them. Like, let's just hear them out. Let's hear what their vision is. Um, we are assuming that they're coming in because they want to, you know, dismantle our faith, but we should get. We should hear them out. Hmm. So we ended up inviting them to um, have coffee with us, and um, me and another organizer of the conference. We just sat down with them and heard why they would be interested in coming and wearing the, those T-shirts and letting Christians ask them questions. And it was completely opposite of what we were thinking. So come to find out, they actually believe that Christians have a really negative image of atheists. They think that they think. Christians believe that all atheists are evil Hmm. and um, are completely morally corrupt. And they wanted to come to this conference and just provide an environment where people could see that they could have conversations with an atheist and it wouldn't have to be a bad thing. Hmm. So, we didn't let them do it. (laughs) You're like, oh, what? That's such a great story. We didn't let them do it because... Mm -hmm. We felt like for, even if they were to handle it maturely, even if they were to handle those conversations maturely, um, we felt like there would be a lot of Christians who came to that conference looking for a safe place to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And the very presence of someone saying like, come, you know, ask me about what I believe would kind of halt that that process for them. And so we shared with um, these two guys, Gary and John, we said, 
you know, we really value what you want to do. Let's create another environment here at Bayside where we can get Christians and atheists and Muslims and people from all faiths interacting. Mm -hmm. So you're welcome to come to the conference. In fact, I gave them two free passes and said, hey, I want to know your feedback. Like, this is our best attempt to answer, you know, you guys' objections to the faith. Why don't you come and just sit in and tell us how we're doing? Hmm. So, I gave them two free passes, and I met up with them afterwards. And, like, they sat in on my breakout, and they gave me notes. Hmm. They said, we thought this was a good point. This was a bad point. Um, we didn't like this that the speaker said. And it was so helpful. Hmm. I mean, they had really, like, genuinely good feedback that I was glad that I listened to. Mm-hmm. But we ended up creating another environment where we could get face-to-face and say, you know, let's all be on an even playing ground and just talk about a question like, what is morality? Mm -hmm. And let's hear your perspective. And let's hear the Christian perspective. Let's hear the Muslim perspective and the Buddhist perspective. So, yeah, that that was an interesting situation. That is interesting. Yeah. Not not something that every church would, uh, you know, get in their email box for every time they do a conference like that. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, I think the church's educational ministry shouldn't neglect apologetics in in any area. So besides just the conferences, I know you're involved in teaching apologetics um, to to a variety of age levels and different groups in the church as well. Tell us a little bit about um, how you incorporate apologetics into student ministry at Bayside. Yeah. So I'm only imagining that you know, someone listening to this podcast, um, they may have a passion for apologetics, but may not have an understanding of how they can use that passion. Mm -hmm. Like, how do they find the people that actually have the tough questions? Um, So my, my first piece of advice for that, and then I'll answer your question, is make sure you're sharing with your pastors that this is your passion and that this is your background. Because I know that I am running into students all the time that have tough questions Mm -hmm. about areas that I'm not an expert in. Uh, For instance, I'm not at all an expert in scientific apologetics. So when I meet a high school student that gets referred to me because I'm the apologetics person, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, ask Dina, she knows apologetics. Um, Sometimes people refer people to me and then I'm just honest with that student, hey, I don't have a good answer to that tough question. But thank goodness I know someone in our church who is an expert on that tough question. Let me link you. Hmm. If you want to talk about the problem of evil, we can talk about that all day. I, I'm good at answering that question. 
But when it comes to evolution and the age of the earth, like I'm not going to be your best resource. So the first way that I really help student our student ministry pastors is by exposing them to the people within our church that have a passion for apologetics. I keep a list of people that I recommend hmm. so that when a student pastor comes to me panicked because this kid is going to lose their faith, I know who to connect them to. Hmm. So that'd be, that'd be the first way that I help our student pastors is by just, I don't have to be the person that answers all the questions, mm -hmm. but I can be the bridge that connects them to the person that can. Mm -hmm. The second way is I really give our student pastors a vision for apologetics that's probably opposite of what most parents want their kids to experience in apologetics ministry. So let me explain. I think when parents send their kids to youth ministry, especially high school students, they're hoping and expecting that their child's faith is going to be really shepherded and tended to and grown. My vision for apologetics with high school students specifically is I think we should absolutely mess them up and expose them to all the tough questions that they're going to encounter in college. I really believe that they should hear from us the things that they need to be wrestling with. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to have that conversation regularly with our student pastor team to say, you know, hey, I know you're inviting me to come in and talk about apologetics to your students. I'm just warning you that when I leave, your students are going to have more questions. Mm. And that's great mm -hmm. because I promise you, if I speak for apolo on apologetics for an hour, when they get to their freshman philosophy class, they're not going to remember what I said. But hopefully, when they get to their freshman philosophy class, they're going to remember that there was someone who was really intelligent, who knew about the deep questions of the faith. And she said, hey, you don't need to worry about this. You need to ask these questions. You need to work hard to get great answers, but you don't need to worry about this because you heard it here and there are great answers to the tough questions. You just need to go out and find them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the first so time that, that a student hears uh, an objection to the existence of God, for example, or to the reliability of the Bible, that it's not in a, in a, a hostile environment, but it's one, hey, I remember that from my church. Maybe I don't remember the answer right now, but I remember there was a whole seminar I sat in. Maybe I could dig up my notes, or maybe I could uh, you know, find, find something from that conference or look it up again. But the idea is that I don't have to stay awake, lie awake in bed at night wondering, can I, can I really believe that God exists when there's evil in the world, or do I have to just chuck the faith so I can be reasonable? That we can, yes. we can uh, students can continue to hold on to their faith in the Lord while wrestling with these these philosophical issues, knowing that there are good answers to the hard questions. Yes. I think that's really good that we expose them to these things yeah. early on so it, that it's it's not the first time they've heard it once they uh, leave yeah. the church and then, you know, are out on their own in college. Yeah. I kind of, I think of it like marriage counseling. Hmm. Um, when I went and received marriage counseling, or in, when I was engaged, I got premarital counseling with my husband. Mm -hmm. and. You know, as a young, engaged gal, I just thought, oh, this is going to be so fun. We're going to talk about our relationship. We've got such a great relationship. And so I went into premarital counseling, and I quickly learned that the whole purpose of the counselor was just to make us fight. And Whoa. I thought, okay, wow, this is terrible. <laughs> like, what is happening to my relationship? Um, but a year down the road, I was so grateful because 
uh, he didn't create fights. He simply showed me the fights I was going to have a year down the road. And I was so happy that I knew those fights before I got married and that I was given some tools to help in those moments. And that's my vision for apologetics, especially with high school students, is we should show them the questions that they already have and the questions that they're going to be exposed to while they're here in the presence of great church leaders who they can reach out to for help um, for a variety of reasons. When college, when um, high school students graduate, um, they don't just graduate their um, high school, they graduate their faith. And a lot of that is because they are disconnected from church leaders. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're going to be able to fix that um, in one broad sweep by one apologetics talk. But I hopefully have planted forever in their mind the idea that there is someone smarter than them asking this question. And there is a great answer if they will simply do the hard work of seeking out that a great answer to the tough question. Mm -hmm. And you've done this not only in student ministry, you've worked with, with women's ministries at Bayside as well, and you've, you've incorporated mm -hmm. this across the board, right? How, how else does, yeah. how does that work with women's ministry, for example? Yeah. So, uh, for instance, my, um, my friend invited me to come speak to mops and you know, I'm thinking, oh, because I'm a new mom. And not really. She wanted me to come speak to mops because of my apologetics background, mm. which I would say, like, careful to anyone who's getting an apologetics degree. It is such a specialized branch of knowledge that that will forever be the thing that you're invited to speak on because people are desperate for the training that you receive. Um, so that's just like a word of caution. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, they don't, they don't want to learn like how I'm trusting and relying in the Lord now that I'm a mom. They want to hear some apologetics. And so I came and I shared with this mops group about the problem of evil and why a good God would allow so much suffering. And specifically, we dove into the questions that a lot of moms have, like what happens if my kid is sick? Um, what happens if I lose a child? And we just dug into those really dark, deep questions, and I was able to share as a mom, but also as someone with an apologetics background, um, some possible things that may help them in their season of life. Mm -hmm. So whatever, whatever group I'm speaking to, I usually just ask the person um, hosting me, you know, what, what's the most difficult question your people are asking? Mm -hmm. And as long as it's not science-related, I say, great, I'm your gal. <laughs> <laughs> if not, I say, hey, I have a friend named Dave. He would love to come and share. <laughs> now, interesting you bring up the mom aspect of, of your ministry because apologetics is still, even today, a field that is often associated with men doing ministry. And yes. what kinds of challenges, maybe from a, a woman's perspective, um, did you run up against in terms of doing apologetics ministry at your church, um, coming from a female perspective? I've been so fortunate. My true answer is zero, um, like less than zero. I actually think that being a woman in apologetics has given me more open doors because I think there are a lot of people in certain segments of the church that are becoming very aware that a female perspective is needed. And so the fact that I'm a woman has actually given me more opportunities mm -hmm. than I would have received had I been, been a man. That's my story. Um, but I know from talking with other people um, in this world that that's not always the case. And so if anything, I, I think 
My best advice is to trust that what you have learned and what you know is incredibly valuable. And your role is just to answer tough questions. Like if God has given you a gift for apologetics and a passion to use it, um, don't necessarily just look for the doors that are not open. It could be that certain platforms are off limits for you right now. And I would say if, if a platform is off limit to you, then go create your own platform. And even if that is simply in the most honoring way possible, collecting a group of young women that are not taking their faith as seriously as they need to and saying, hey, we're going to dive into the tough questions and we're going to go after this together. Um, be exceedingly faithful in that platform, even if it's one of your own creating. And don't just wait for someone to open the door for you and create the platform for you. Do it right now. God wants you to use those apologetics gifts right now. That's great. Well, that kind of dovetails into the, the next question that I wanted to ask as we um, think more about kind of some of the practical how-tos of this ministry. What advice would you give to somebody, first of all, who is on staff at a church who wanted to do something like you've been doing in terms of getting a, a class going, a seminar going? Um, and then my next question will be, what if you're not on staff? Yeah. Okay. So if I didn't have Thrive School as my um, full-time gig, and I felt like God was calling me to do apologetics ministry, um, here's what I would do. I would find the smartest people in my church, and I would find the best communicators in my church, and I would say, would you please attend a three-month-long Bible study with me? I would call it a Bible study because they wouldn't have a category for what we would really be doing, which is apologetics. And I would collect those people, the great communicators in the church and the great thinkers in the church. And I would say, in this group, we are going to chase after the great answers to the four toughest questions that people in our church are asking. And then I would make all the great thinkers do all the homework. Hmm. I mean, because this is their thing. I would make them read the J.P. Moreland's and the J. Warner Wallace's and the William Lane Craig's and Gary Habermas's. I would make them do all the research and come to small group and teach us what they learned. Hmm. And then I would invite the communicators to figure out the best way to communicate that to our general church audience. Um, and the reason why I would do that instead of doing my own class is... Um, my particular role in apologetics is to connect the resources to the people that need those resources. I've shared that with you in the past, Mikkel. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like there's a huge gap in apologetics right now between the thinkers and the communicators. Mm -hmm. Most people that have the platform to communicate, um, I say this with grace, like are, are not the great thinkers in the church. Some of them are. Um, but not everyone is Tim Keller, and mm -hmm. um, not everyone is uh, C.S. Lewis. I mean, C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest thinkers and one of the greatest communicators. And so, I would be passionate to, to connect the thinkers with the communicators and help, their, um, help the communicators really understand what they're missing and, and communicating from the platform. 
<laughs> so I forgot your original question, okay, no, but that well, makes me really excited. Yeah, well, that was the the question. The sec you answered the second question, which was, "What if I'm not on staff?" Right, and mm, so mm -hmm. you were trying to you're putting this thing together as the uh, connector between the communicators and the thinkers, and then finding kind of a this is a very grassroots level kind of thing. And pastors actually love it when instead of somebody saying, "Hey, pastor, I have a, this idea. What if we do this <laughs> Bible study with these people?" Versus coming up to the pastor saying, hey, you know, we've been thinking about these hard questions for the past 15 weeks. Is there a place where we can just share some of these um, things that we've learned? Um, yes. You know, what pastor wouldn't love it? Um, that someone's already started this grassroots kind of thing, um, yes. getting people to read these kinds of books and, um, mm -hmm. and communicate and help other people grow in their faith. Yeah. So if you are on staff, though, say you're the youth pastor, mm -hmm. say you're a children's ministry director, even worship pastor, let's say, but you have a heart for seeing this in your church, how would that differ? What advice would you give them? Yeah. So God's gifted you with a platform. He's gifted you with an audience. And since you already care about apologetics, um, I would invite you as the person with the platform, as the person with the audience, to make sure that you are thinking the best thoughts and communicating it in the best ways. And so you got to know yourself. Are you the deep thinker? If you are, then make sure that you are asking the questions, not at the highest level, but at the deepest level. I mean, go full Aquinas of, you know, argument, objection, counter argument, objection, like think it all the way down. Think about the atheist who is coming to your youth group, hopefully. What would they ask if they were given the mic? I mean, make sure, first of all, as a person with the platform and the audience, that you're thinking at the deepest levels. Secondly, you also need to know if you're the best communicator. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is really humbling, but you may need to take a speech class. You, need, you may need to get some feedback on how you're doing in communicating. As someone that hosts apologetics conferences, um, let me tell you, my greatest challenge is finding great thinkers who are great communicators. Um, and so I would really challenge you, if, if you're not a great communicator, that is something that you need to work on. And so become a great communicator. Take a speech class. Get feedback. Every time you speak, make sure people are telling you if it was making sense or not. Mm -hmm. And if you can humble yourself in that way, then you'll make sure that the passion that you have for apologetics and giving these great answers to the tough questions, that that's actually translating to the audience who's listening. Mm -hmm. So that's like an extremely uh, specific thing that I would do, mm -hmm. but I, I do see it as one of the greatest gaps in apologetics today. And so if you're asking how you can fill in, that's mm -hmm. a gap I see. Yeah, that's great. Well, what would be, let's say for you personally, Dina, what would be the number one takeaway that you've had so far from being involved in helping your church defend the faith and get answers to these hard questions? My number one takeaway. Total Miss America moment, so I can repeat the question to think of the answer. Um, I think my greatest takeaway is that people are really struggling. Hmm. Hmm. People are really struggling with tough questions. And it takes time and thought and study and um, work to become a good communicator in order to get them the great answers. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think a lot of the reason, if I can help the person who's listening understand, a lot of the reason pastors are hesitant to take up apologetics, that second reason, is actually because it's a lot of work. It is way easier to get up on stage and preach from passion than it is to preach from careful thought. Hmm. And so I would... I would say this takes time and you need to be patient with yourself and patient with your pastor if he's struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Patient with yourself if you're a mm-hmm. pastor and this is something you're struggling with. And ask for help. Ask for help. If, if you're struggling with knowing how to bring this to your people, then find someone who's doing this really, really well and say, can I just ask you a thousand questions about how you're doing this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Someone, someone I would follow is Mark Clark. I think this may be so bold, but I think he's like an emerging C.S. Lewis of our generation. I think there, every generation has someone that not only has great answers, but also understands the questions that people are asking. And I, I feel like in recent times, the person who is doing the best job of really hearing the questions that people are asking is Mark Clark. So read what Mark is writing and do the Bible studies that he is producing and follow along with the journey that he's taking his church on because I see him doing what is needed so very, very well. Well, thanks, Dina, so much for that and for sharing your experience with us. Um, You've done so much at Bayside from not only uh, doing these conferences, but working with youth and women's ministry, and then with Thrive School as well. Um, Some churches have that that school connection as well, too, and so you're able to do both. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I'm so glad to have joined. Thanks for inviting me. And we thank you so much, too, for being on the Table podcast with us. If you have a topic you would like us to consider for a future episode, please email us at thetable at dts.edu. Again, that's thetable at dts.edu. And we hope you will join us again next week on the Table podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.